as my hair. Your hair looks better than mine. <laughs> Your hair is perfect, like the werewolf from London. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think we are live, fellas. We're live. Okay, so here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I am your host. I'm with my partner here, my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm psyched to have our first political candidate, and it's good that he's Republican, which means he's pro-police. You know? About time, you know, because I our can't take these anti-police Democrats, you know? Our guest tonight, we're happy to have him. Um, his name is George Santos. He's from Queens. He's running for Congress as a Republican. Um, what's up, George? How are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, you know, uh, you guys hit something there that I, I talk about a lot. It's, 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 it, when did, really, when did supporting the police become a partisan issue? Uh, and it really bothers me that I have to run on such a common sense topic almost as a partisan speaking point. The cops, I mean, come on, are you serious? I'll it, tell you what, George, when they did bail reform and, and convicted felons are allowed to vote, that's when. No, know? I, no I know when. I, sadly, I know when. I asked a question more so on a rhetorical note, like, come on, it's the cops, it's the guy, it's the people we call when we're in trouble, you dial 911. You know, I have a great relationship with the police, and it's 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 very humbling to me that I've been endorsed by 12 law enforcement agencies throughout the state of New York, and I take that, you know, and I'm holding that badge of honor, and I want to take it to the finish line and stick it to my Democratic opponent who stands for abolishing and defunding the police. So I'm very honored and happy to, to be the, the, the law and order candidate, the back the blue candidate, and I'm unapologetically outspoken about it. So I love it. I actually... Absolutely. Tell her, um, tell her audience uh, your district and who you're running against. Yeah, so I'm running in the third congressional district of New York, which encompasses northeastern Queens, nor the North Shore of Long Island. Um, so it, it spans from Beechhurst, Whitestone, Queens, and it goes all the way through the North Shore up until East North Fourth and parts of Kings Park, Suffolk County. So it, it, it covers an enormous amount of ground. And you couldn't be more different than the people at the further east end and the people at the further west end. We're talking about Smithtown, Suffolk County, and Queens County, New York City. Well, you uh, know, my Swazi, Swazi is a Glen Cove guy, and his family was in politics. So well, he, it's he generational. Over yes, 50 it's, years it's of generational Swazi. family that were politicians on Long Island. You know, I grew up in Levittown, and Long Island used to be solid, heavy-duty Republican. I don't know if it is as, as much anymore. I was actually just at a, a, a leaders meeting in the Republican Party and uh, the Nassau County chairman, uh, Joe Cairo, was just saying that 50 years ago when he joined the party uh, and he used to, you know, oh, you're running for office? What are you, Republican or Democrat? Oh, you don't even got to do anything. You're going to get in if you are a Republican. <laughs> That's not the case anymore. We fight and we fight for our lives. And you know what? This year, for what it's worth, it's been a nightmare for most of us. I, you, you know, for all Americans, it's been a nightmare. Whichever way you look at it, you can't make good of this year. But the one good we're going to be able to do is that we're going to be able to bring common sense back into public office. Not only here in Albany, in New York, but we're going to be able to do it at the federal level. And that's absolutely amazing to me that we're going to accomplish this. Hey, uh, you grew up in Queens, right? Yeah, born and raised in Jackson Heights. I survived Elmhurst Hospital in 1988. <laughs> oh, so you, yeah, because you look young. I was going to say, how old are you? But 88, 32. Um, yeah, a couple of years. 32, younger. Mark. Don't, don't impress people with your math because you suck at math. <laughs> you interrupted me. I was carrying the two. <laughs> That's why we became cops because we can't do math or else we'd be engineers, right? <laughs> I was reading in your bio that your, your parents are from Brazil, right? Yep. And, um, so you're a, you're a result of the public school system um, in middle school. And then it says something there that uh, you, you went to preparatory school for high school. And then uh, you, you, something happened and financially you couldn't make it through. So, uh, but what, what preparatory school did you go to? So I, I went through the public school system, um, K through K through eight. 
And uh, my parents saved up enough money and they they were no longer the uh, off the boat immigrants that had me in 1988. And they, they had a plan. They thought it was cheaper to pay for prep school than to play, pay for four or six years of college. So they sent me to a good prep school, so and which was Horseman uh, Prep in the Bronx. And um, on my senior year of prep school, unfortunately, my parents uh, fell on hard times, which was creeping up uh, something that would later become known as the depression of 2008. But we were hit a little earlier on with the over leveraging of real estate and the market started to implode. Um, and the first thing to go was the, the prep school. You know, you, you can't afford the $2,500 tuition at that point, right? So anyway, um, I left school uh, four months to graduation and uh, we went to a public school. They wouldn't take me, you know, there, there's Wait a little- a George, Horace Mann wouldn't hit you up with a scholarship? Unfortunately, at the time, there were I wasn't the only student going through that same issue. A Horace Mann's got more money than God, though. Oh, I, I agree. But uh, from what I recall and from what I understand is there was a, I wasn't alone in that boat. We're, we're talking about a couple of hundred kids had to do the same thing. Well, I so, love that even with colleges, you know, colleges are all like charging the same amount but uh, online learning as they do for coming. And they have no overhead. <laughs> right, they have no overhead. And some of these schools have billion dollar endowments. Oh yeah. Look, Why are they allowed to, to hold government money in their endowments? I just don't understand that. How about this? I'm a private equity guy. I know how much of money their endowments have. You know why? I invest most of their capital for them. Uh, tech, tech uh, Sacramento, University of Sacramento, Harvard. I mean, if you get probably a, a good 10 of, a 10 to 20 of these endowments together uh, and you get their AUMs, you can act, actually write the next two, three stimulus checks that Nancy Pelosi is dying to write to the American people. You can fund it through their endowments and not bankrupt the, the, the United States of America and raise a national debt. There's many ways to they stimulate- They want our the 401ks. I want, I want Harvard and, and Yale's and Wake Forest's endowment. <laughs> is that legal? Yes, it's legal to stimulate them. It's an investment opportunity, right? So here's, here's how I talk about it. Right now in the private sector, there's about six to seven trillion dollars of dry powder, meaning uninvested capital. Firms like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Blackstone, so on and so forth, they, their investors are comfortable being eaten, eating the fees for the year 2020 because it's less loss than the volatility the market has. You know, although we have a 33.1% uh, GDP to, uh, today that came out, which was quite surprisingly, because that just puts us a little under 5% behind where we were supposed to be. And all things considered of 2020, that's not so bad. <laughs> you know, this, yeah. th this president's proven one thing. You can mess with him. You can throw him the Wuhan virus, but you can't mess with his economy. So I think that that speaks volumes, right? Yeah, but you I know, know a, lot, people, a lot of people, George, you know what people say on the other side? They say, oh, that's Obama's economy. And no, it's just not. inherited. Oh, I know. That's, I think that's know, crap. But that's what they say. The, um, it's, funny, it's funny that Trump's a successful economy is Obama's. But Obama's unsuccessful economy was Bush's. Right, it's funny right. how they, well, <laughs> it's funny how they want to, if it's bad, they push it to the predecessor. <laughs> hey, uh, Obama cried like a bitch for eight, all of his eight years, blaming it on everyone else. Hey, uh, exactly. Let me ask you something, because this thing that you brought up about the colleges, uh, the first thought in my, in my head was, you know, the money would be very uh, helpful. Um, but it's almost like if they created a situation where they were by contract, then all of a sudden you're being a lobbyist. The colleges, we all we know the way they lean, and all of a sudden they gave money to the government. You're gonna have oh, to. They, they wouldn't give it to the government. That's not that's not the plan, right? So the way it would work, Mark, is the government would, would create a package for to stimulate the economy, so local economies can be stimulated, so mom and pop shops don't close. The funds would be provided by the endowment. The percentage of 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 um excuse me, the percentage of interest would be regulated by the program the government put together. And in return, the stimulation, the, the stimulus that the, the endowment would receive would be in some ways a sort of write-off on, on, on a tax break. 
that they would get, but in return, okay, that makes sense. All right. In return, they're flooding direct loans from that program into the into the economy, right? And yeah. it's not coming from a two two point two trillion dollars that we do not have. You well, know, you so you understand where my fear comes from. You got colleges putting money into the economy, and they're going to be able to somehow, if they did it on a year to year basis, <laughs> they could choose to defund at one point and. Um, Next thing you know, you're beheading to uh, the colleges and the direction the country has to go in that direction. Well, you- no, look, that, that's a concern, but that's why there's contracts and there's people like me that are really good at writing those contracts. 11 years doing uh, deals in Wall Street, I can tell you one thing. I know how to cross T's and dot I's better than a lot of people in the industry. That's why I'm able to successfully manage $1.5 billion of fixed income without ever defaulting on one payment. So I, I find myself confident and, and well-equipped to actually go serve in Congress. I, I'm the type of guy you need today to go serve what the country's going to need to recover from. At least you weren't making Cuba Libras a year ago. Yeah, there you go. I was you know, and then, and now, you know, I was drinking up <laughs> AOC and the squad, you know, she was mixing drinks a year ago and now she's like making national policy. Are you kidding me? Well, she's trying to make national policy. Trying to, yeah. Nothing she's ever tr- put forward. Thank God. Hey, I gone I'm impressed. Fast. I'm impressed, man. I'm impressed. Most, you know, because I'm, I'm I'm from here. I'm, I'm my my art, and I, not only am I from here, but I'm all. I was also a detective for 13 years. My my art is sniffing through bullshit, and and you know, I could I could smell a, bu- a bullshit artist a mile away. You're legit. You know your stuff. I'm very well, impressed. You know, here's here's the deal. I come from nothing, as I tell everybody, right? I, I Like I said, I grew up in Jackson Heights. I was born in Elmhurst Hospital. From the hospital, my parents were really struggling. They lived in a basement. I lived in, in a basement until the age of six. And obviously, progress happened, and we, we, we did well. But everything I've ever accomplished and achieved was through hard work. Even this freaking race right now. Look at the time. I just came in from a meeting with the leaders in Nassau County. But before that, it was there's a Nor'easter out there. You know what I was doing all day? Door knocking. I, my feet are soaking and frozen, but I was door knocking because every door I knock and I try to persuade one vote for common sense. This isn't about Republicans or Democrats anymore. This is about saving the lives and livelihoods of our children. This is about being able to walk in the streets because if anybody thinks in Long Island, that whatever happens in Manhattan doesn't affect them, they're wrong. They're terribly mistaken. If Manhattan goes dark the way de Blasio wants to make it go dark, we're screwed. And it's not only in Long Island, it's the entire tri-state area. So I'm going to walk up until November 3rd, until 9 um, until 9 p.m. I will be door knocking and getting people out to vote because that's how important this election is. Sure, it's yeah, about- let, me just, let me just address some of the things that you were just talking about. Yeah. One of the things that I find so egregious are how, at least this guy de Blasio, who is undoubtedly the worst mayor in the history of New York City. Big Bird. <laughs> you know, yeah. They just, they, they just put up 2,000 speed cameras. That's not designed to make pedestrians safer. That's a cash register for the city. You know what I mean? They changed the law on the subway where jumping the turnstile is no longer a theft of service misdemeanor. Now it's a civil matter. So as a result, the police aren't looking to enforce it because it's a joke. You know, if they grab the guy, it's a civil matter. So the other thing is they're talking about congestion pricing. Again, hitting the taxpayer from the outer boroughs because they hate cars, too, as part of their Green New Deal. You know, they hate cars. So everything I'm just talking about is designed to slam the taxpayer who lives outside the city who has to go into the city. And, and, and the transit system, they just had, the, the head of the MTA today was crying like a bitch. He takes, yep. he takes a, a piece of Cuomo. Cuomo blames everything on everyone else. That's what this guy was doing. He's saying crime is up in the subway, even though ridership is down. He's blaming the NYPD. Another Democrat guy who's, you know, pounding on, on the police. Well, look, I feel like here's, here's where we are. And, and I want to really keep this one brief, but it's not the police's fault. It's the stupid mayor's fault and governor that doesn't curb the stupid mayor, that doesn't see that all these liberal progressive positions are actually regressive. 
Defunding the police only made New York City more dangerous. De Blasio has only one good merit. He made Dave Dinkins look good. Yeah. <laughs> That's all That's he true. has. The only New Yorker that likes de Blasio is Dave Dinkins because he made him look good. You know, well, has- at least Dave Dinkins, um, he was a visionary in one aspect. He, uh, he created the, uh, the U.S. Op- uh, the, the stadium there, the Arthur Ashe, because that thing is, brings in more money. Without the COVID, brings in more money. I used to work that detail. More money than the Super Bowl, the World Series, and the NBA championships combined those two weeks. Oh, so the U.S. Open? The, yeah, the only, uh-huh. thing that, the only thing that you can credit de Blasio for was building that Arthur Ashe Stadium there and making it as nice it is, as it is. That's the one thing you can you give mean, You mean Dinkins? Dinkins. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, Dinkins. That's the only you thing. Said, you said de Blasio. De Blasio. Uh, de Blasio, as far as I know right now, he doesn't have anything um, to show me he was a visionary. There's not one good thing that he did. Um, you know, usually it's like the second term where all the crazy shit happens and, and we could see what happened now. Um, you know, I wanted- well, Bloomberg, had, Bloomberg had a third. Right, right. Bloomberg bullied himself to a... You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because it was the third one that was kind of sort of his demise because, you know, if you were a cop, you know, uh, we always talk about this, to stop, question, and frisk. And uh, it it really worked in the beginning. It brought crime down to where we were about 300 homicides a year, what we were close to 2,000 a year. And But once we got to a certain point, we should have taken our foot off the gas. And we never did. And uh, that's where the third term comes in. Um, it just, you know, the, these uh, narcotics arrests for marijuana, it just turned the city against you. The, the, the nightclub harassment, it just, it wasn't a good look. Sure, we were in, in control, we, you know, the homicides were down and the crime was down, but we could have eased off the pedal there. And that third term, it turned out to be, it, it, that's, that's where it all happened there. Yeah, well, look. That's, that's, that's why we have the Blasio, because Bloomberg overstayed his welcome. The moment you overstay your welcome, man, um, unfortunately, the voters react. Uh, just like I think right now, de Blasio has got Democrats and Republicans alike agreeing that he's the worst thing in New York City. And what that does is it primes the atmosphere and the environment for a Republican takeover. So we should be prepping up the most... Giuliani-esque like candidate right now to run and win because well whoever runs and has a common sense mentality on the Republican side will be the next mayor of New York City. You have no question about that because but George, you know something. I've been around for a long time. I did 27 years in the NYPD, and we call the uh, turnaround of New York City, at least for crime-wise, the Brian Watkins moment. And the Brian Watkins, I don't know if you're familiar with the story. He was a tourist from Utah who came to Manhattan with his family to take a train to the U.S. Open in Queens. And while they were waiting for the train, his mother was attacked by a group of muggers, and he came to her aid and was stabbed to death. That was the incident that sort of just mobilized the city saying, this is not okay to have crime like this. And that was the end of Dinkins. Uh, well, I... And, 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 our, and our coming to Jesus moment now, that our version of that now, was when we saw this past summer, our city being looted and burnt to the ground. 25,000 empty vacant rentals in Manhattan and 40% of storefronts are vacant. This is, this, is, this is our moment now to show people. Business owners across the city can't see the end of Bill de Blasio. Andrew Cuomo should give us clemency and, and, and mercy and remove him from office. That's essentially what he should be doing. Let me ask you a question. I mean, besides for being a horrible mayor, I think, do you think he's actually doing this on purpose? Because now we're talking about the deal with the Mets, all but said and done, and he's sticking his hands in. Some would say it was because nobody took care of him on the way in. Maybe he was avoided. They should have uh, hooked him up a little bit. And the other train of thought that I'm thinking is, as an anarchist, your thing is to destroy. Why would you want the Mets to be successful? If you're looking to uproot and just destroy um, the government and civilization as we know it so somebody else could take over because that's what anarchists want and that's what he is. 
then why that's why he's to, maybe that's why he's putting a trying to put a kibosh on his deal. I heard Major League Baseball is still going to go through with it. I hope, but um, it's it's kind of weird that they got rid of uh, Amazon coming to the city, and then they got uh, now they're trying to kill the Mets deal. So maybe they don't want the city to thrive. Well, the, here's the deal: the progressives have a different vision of what a thriving city is than us common normal people, and I'm not going to even say Republicans or Democrats. The, the socialists have this vision of wealth distribution and wealth equality and the universal income. We understand hard work. We understand you guys put your lives on the line working in the NYPD. You Every time you, you left to go do your duty and to, to go out to do your shift, you kissed your family goodbye. You had no guarantees you'd come back, right? But you were doing it because it was your job and you had to do it to keep food on the table, the lights on and a roof over your head and your kids, right? Unfortunately, these socialists, they don't think like that. They think everything should be given, everything should be free, and there's enough money in the world and, and enough Jeff Bezos of the world to give enough money to everybody, and we can all live in Kumbaya happy. But in reality, it, it doesn't work. Look, Just look at the city. Senator, State Senator Michael Janaris, Congresswoman AOC, and Mayor Bill de Blasio single-handedly destroyed 25,000 high-paying jobs in Long Island City. That's a, you know... Uh, Three morons, George. A one of our one of our fans, Dr. Stephen Washkel, who's been on our show a couple of times. He said, "My theory is that De Blasio thrives on being hated, because he is full of self hate, blaming himself for his father's suicide. The more he's hated, the more he's energized to act in ways that generates more hate." That's Dr. Stephen Washkel, who happens to be a uh, a suicide expert, like wow. an anti. He works with the NYPD. Put that diagnosis out there, but that's what he said. I, I'm putting that. I'll, I'll take what he said. It makes sense. You know, the guy is is a loathing, self-hating individual. He he he. The man ran for president of the United States in the middle of our city, having the worst deficit in the country, in the in its history. Right. And it it hurts to hear that we had a deficit. Bloomberg left us $9 billion. You burnt through $9 billion in your first term? You're a moron. But then it I remember, but Charlene took 1.4. So that left us about 6.6. .6. Oh, I'm sorry, 7.6. So that's right. He burned through $7.6 billion in about five years of his time as mayor, plus the ongoing reoccurring budget. That's not little, as you know. But at the end of the day, he's done nothing. What is he spending the money on? Nothing, because there's no progress. The only thing he did to the city was make traffic dangerous. These bike lanes. He smokes, a lot, he smokes a lot of good weed. He spends oh. a lot of money on weed. I'm sure he's importing it. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what's funny about uh, the, the funding is that I worked in the police academy as an actor. And we used to do uh, scenarios on how to handle mental illness. It was the CIT. Christ. I can imagine you putting that role forward now. I'm looking at you. <laughs> and, uh, well, the irony, here's the weird thing about it, right? So I no longer have that job, but not only me, but all the other actors. Now, I'm the only one of the actors that um, was a retired member of the service. All the other actors were legit actors. They're just, they're just actors. And this was a nice, uh, you know, steady money once a week. And uh, the clinicians that work there, um, the only thing, the cops that work there with us, they're still cops. They just went to work somewhere else. The only people that the funding hurt was these legit actors and these clinicians that are out of work right now. And the fact that they're not getting the training anymore to handle mental illness. That guy in Philly charging at him with a knife, he was a career criminal. I'm sure he had his psychological problems. Maybe I'm picking the wrong guy, but the, a lot of this was learning how to deal with people with emotional problems. And now you're not getting that training anymore, which is like, it doesn't it's make insane. sense. It's insane. Oh, look, I don't live too far from the Academy, actually. And I will say one thing, 28th Avenue, where the Academy is in College Point, that's a freaking embarrassment. Like, I've, I've blown two tires driving by the Academy. And, yeah, that's and, a little weird. But see, don't forget, too, I think that's... Um, Swampland. Yeah, that's, that's built on landfill. 
That whole right there. And there's there's a way that you that goes up and down there where they can't control and the street, the street like, no like matter, a pyramid. <laughs> no matter how much they try to level it, the earth comes through it. Yeah. Like you can't even the earth moves trying to burst through that quicker than they can retire. It. It's, like, it's like trying to stop water. Not it only is, that, it is. But that it, that's on a landfill. They should have built it there, but that area right there is like a wind tunnel. So on a day like this, or you know, when it gets a little bit colder, and you're trying to walk from parking in the in the parking lot into the academy, that stretch, that walk there, the wind is so strong. I don't know how they play baseball because City Field is not that far away. But the wind is so strong there. I helped this lady one day. She wasn't going to make it to work. She was an older lady. She worked in the academy, admin. And uh, I could see her. The wind was beating her back. So I just came up. I put my arm on her. I said, I give you a hand. And she says to me on the way there, thank you so much. And then she says, uh, you know, sometimes I got to turn around and go home because I can't, I, I can't make it. Like, that's but how you know what's funny? I, two years ago, I sold a property I had on 28th Avenue all the way down by the water right just go straight right uh-huh. and it's because the shelter went up on 20th avenue and 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 it was very controversial and and i i sold the property there but what i can tell you is that that area should have never been built on that is a swamp that used to be the flushing airport and the swamp took over it and then they insisted in building up a, a, an academy there you know it's a beautiful building i think it's a gorgeous project don't get oh, me wrong but you know, I, there. we used to act through the scenarios on sound stages. I'm talking about yeah, I've been professional, yeah. professional like movie sound stages. But look, you said something about actors. Let's let's bring this in real quick. Uh, and I know it's really off the topic of law enforcement, but did you see the plan that this administration of de Blasio slash Cuomo has? It's gonna kill Broadway. There's no oh. way in hell that Broadway is gonna survive this. They're going I, to kill our most ancient market. Our most ancient business in the city is Broadway. I, I, I think I, I said this on the show earlier, but I think Broadway's uh, like one step ahead. They announced that um, they were going to reopen uh, June of 2021. And uh, and before that, I, I said, uh, I have a feeling they're going to announce that they're going to do like um, original cast tours to open states. And then Texas will be one of them, maybe Nashville, uh, you know, Tennessee, they'll wind up in Nashville, but the new Broadway will be somewhere over there, either in Austin, Texas or in Nashville. And this place is just going to go fucking down the toilet. Yeah, I want to see what de Blasio and, and Cuomo, specifically Cuomo, that wants to run and keep running because he's proclaimed himself king. So now why leave the throne, right? I want to see what he's going to do when it's all said and done and there's no more Broadway. That's a big money attractor for the city. And those taxes funded the police. It's everything. It's everything because the people, they fly in to, uh, to see the shows. They put themselves up at hotel. After they see the show, they come and see a comedy show. They go to dinner. They go to a couple of shopping. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, uh, you're taking tourism, entertainment, hospitality, I would have dining. All of that revenue is going out the window. If it, just, if it, if it was up to me, one domino. you would have been sitting in a bubble, in a, in a little balloon right now, in a bubble. It's yeah. watching Hamilton the, in a shower curtain all around you. I would have made it happen. I'm not shutting down Broadway. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you whatsoever. I think it's, uh, it's absolutely uh, common sense that we have to do this. And George, Look, let me just, can I just stop you there for one second? I just want to reroute us to something that us and our fans are very concerned with and that's police reform and no one is against intelligent police reform but so far it hasn't been very intelligent especially in new york city and one of the things i'd like to refer to is um something called the diaphragm law that was passed by the city council morons without any um advisement from police experts or from academics, or from people in the law business. They just took it upon themselves to try to please their constituents and decided that it was a bad idea when police officers make an arrest for them to put their knee into a perpetrator's back. And they went one step further and they made it an a misdemeanor for a cop to do that. Outrageous, just simply outrageous. If you get elected, what are you gonna do to reverse that law? 
Well, like that that's a state law, right? And I talk about this a lot because I'm running for a federal seat. Well, my 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 proposal is not is not so much targeted on that because I would I would definitely work hard to reverse something like that. But there's plenty of state candidates running this cycle. Former Port Washington Police Commissioner Dave Franklin in the seventh senatorial district, uh, and so many. Others. I I don't want to name uh, I don't want to miss anyone out, but I'll, I'm just giving an example. He he spoke about this to me not too long ago and said that that's the number one thing that he needs to not only get to Albany to reverse bail reform, but he needs to uncuff the police. There's so many resolutions that were passed in Albany to, to literally take away powers from the police that they were considering to removing firearms from the police. Yeah, I've, the I've heard that. I'm, that Bernie, I'm more on like Bernie Sanders is someone that suggests. Well, no, 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 not, not, not Bernie Sanders. We're talking about in the New York State Assembly and Senate. This is being floated around that they want to remove firearms from police and just let them have, you know, a taser, the baton. And are you serious? So they're going to go up against bad guys with guns with a baton. So right. why, what's yeah. going to be the incentive for these men and women to stay on the job? I would quit. They won't. It's they won't stay. It'll be impossible to recruit new cops if that's going to be. I mean, it's already hard now. The yeah. salary isn't that impressive. The benefits aren't that impressive. And now you're not safe. Now with these new discovery laws and all this other nonsense, they're making your, your, your information public. So your kids and your wife are at home while you're out working. And, you know, because you made an arrest 15 years ago, now they know where you live. Right. That's well, unbelievable. unbelievable. I, you know, at the federal level, what I want to propose is I want to take police funding to a federal level where the state cannot abolish or, or, or diminish or lower the state and municipality funding to the law enforcement um, from where it is. It can only go up, not go down. Right. And if it does by any crazy chance go down, the federal government comes in, takes over that police force from that municipality, funds it, and no longer allows You know what? Control. I, go ahead. Could I stop you there? The, yeah. Here's my theory. You see, what they do is they... they um, they talk about defunding the police and then they turn around and they want the federal government to supply state police. So now you're being policed by the state police and now we took it off our budget so I have more money to give away for nonsense. If you look, smaller states are doing it, uh, municipalities are doing it. Here in New York City, they're, doing, they're trying to do the same thing. Either privatize it or they want those uh, state troopers. Look at what happened. Those state troopers that used to sit on the side of the highway, they already took them. They took them back. Because those guys, um, that's what they were looking at, de Blasio. Well, you know what? We, we don't have to hire so many because we could just use these state police. Why not have them answer calls? Yeah, but Mark, when the shit hit the fan, Cuomo pulled the state police out of the city because he didn't want it to come back on him. Because when the riots happened... Cuomo was, he, he went on the side of the rioters. So let me pull my police out of there because I don't want them to get involved. In especially especially because state troopers don't mess around, right? No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> Those guys come out the car hot. When they come well, they out the car, you know it's not going to be. I've seen actually a state trooper recently pull over an NYPD patrol that was gunning all off. And I actually witnessed them pull him over and ticket the officer. I could not believe my eyes when I saw that. I said, wow, these guys are real serious. It's it's, it's on a different level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that on a different level. To me when I was a cop, believe me. Stay true. Not <laughs> giving me a ticket. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, hey, that's on you guys. I'm not a cop, so, so I can't say George, that. George, the other thing is, you're David, and Swazi is Goliath. How are you going to take down Goliath? I need a sword. <laughs> I need, need a, a bigger sword. rock to swing I, in that little... I, I, the, the rock's not going to work. I need a sword. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, let me put it this way. It's the numbers are... My polls have been very positive for me. I've been polling ahead of him since prior to the... To, to the not the pandemic, but prior to the anarchy rate in New York City. And it started going into the island. I was pulling behind him double digits, 10 points, 11 points. I said, hey, I'm trying my best. Once that hit and people saw his ineptitude as a congressman and he was caught marching next to people with signs of Porky Pig as a cop 
yeah. and with and with uh f the police abolish the police and no justice no peace he was caught in a picture with that the moment that that happened and we started negatively you know broadcasting and showing showing to people look this is your congressman he's gonna new york city your suburbs in long island the numbers started climbing my name recognition started climbing and i speak at every back to blue rally there is I've always been a, a police officer supporter. It's not because today it's hot and popular. I've been wearing back the blue stuff, stickers on my car. My car has been keyed ever since I've driven. I've always had some kind of police like support magnet or sticker and I've always gotten my car keyed. So I'm okay with it, you know? I make I make enough of an honest living that I can go get it buffed every time some moron decides to key my car. So keep it coming. Look, in 16, I had a big Trump sticker you know, and, and that cost me two broken windows and a lot of scribble scrabble. And it wasn't a and it wasn't a cheap car. It was a Cayenne, brand new 2015 Cayenne. I kept that thing in the shop almost every other week, but I did not take down that magnet. I did not take down that sticker. You know why? It's my car and you're not going to get the best of me. So that's it, you know, and that's what I do with the police. I love I this guy, bro. I love it. You know, I keep the stuff there. I keep my back to blue. I go my on my gas gog. I have the the back to blue shield, and I go into Harlem to gas up or something like that. And these 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 attendants look at it and says, you know, you got a lot of courage to keep that on there. If you park on these streets, you might not find your car. I said that's not a problem. I have insurance. You're doing <laughs> me a favor. I get a new car. <laughs> you know. So hey, hey you know what? Listen, I, I used to work with. Uh, the three probably craziest cops uh, or detectives at the time in, in New York City. And what happened was uh, they were running for mayor and Bloomberg, Bloomberg was running for mayor. And this uh, sergeant calls up where I worked in Warrens and he asked three guys that he used to work with. He said, listen, I, I have the detail now guarding Bloomberg. He's never going to win. But if you want to get, you know, a couple of months off of not catching any cases, come. You know, you're going to go back afterwards, but, you know, come, you don't have to catch cases for two months. So they went and then Bloomberg won. <laughs> they became <laughs> then they became part of Bloomberg's detail. And I, like I mentioned earlier, these are the three craziest dudes you ever want. They didn't last long. And they had to stay straight next to them. Bill and no, the mayor. <laughs> no, they, didn't, they got launched one by one. It took time to figure it out, but they could. Yeah, they couldn't. They got launched. But um. It was it was a fun it's a funny story but the truth is is you never know you never know so uh be prepared for anything i don't hey, know, no matter what I, they say i don't think trump thought he was going to win either i didn't think trump was going to win i was in the hilton i was shit faced excuse sorry i forgot we're here on facebook i was wasted the poll numbers the, just went up i was in i was in the hilton and as as the waiter goes by i'm dragging drinks off the tray i'm like he's not going to win let me get drunk anyway and at, at that two something o'clock in the morning time when the, it was official, I remember I sobered up so quick. I said, how the hell did he pull it off? I couldn't believe it. I mean, the Hilton, like this guy's crazy. He just put himself up for ridiculous, whatever, whatever. And he pulled it off. He took Hillary Clinton's promised presidency right under her foot. The Javits Jacob Center there was no roof, no glass ceiling shattering. There was a lot of liberal tears. That oh. became a swimming pool. I, I I've never watching, seen it. I loved watching the news reporters. I thought Tom Brokaw was going to cry. I thought Rachel Maddow was going to implode on national oh, television. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to watch funny. that happen again. We're not going to get that. We're not going to get that this year. And they were already predicting, like, that's why I don't know how you can predict um, civil unrest when... There's not going to be an outcome on the night. There's no way. So why would anybody go out and protest the first night or ransack shit the first because night? Not that, not that you need a reason. It's already proven you don't need a reason yeah. to, uh, to just rip shit up. All you need is uh, uh, just a, a court. Like, well, you do need a reason, but just for fun. You know what I'm well, saying? Here, here's the deal win lose or draw i think that they're gonna they, they, they need to go shopping again come on yeah. the anarchists and the looters yeah, they gotta go the first Louis Vuitton again are the you new, kidding new nypd supposedly send out a memo uh you know that they're preparing for the election night 
But if you not know, if you don't know who's gonna win, and it's still up in the air, which is gonna be, why would anybody? What the fuck? That, here's, a re- here's a reality. Here's what's gonna happen. Um, on election night, and you remember during the, the the riots and the looting that all the stores were boarded up, Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue. Some of them didn't board up, but they just emptied out the stores and left it all unboarded so people could see. There's nothing to take here. You want to smash a window? You're a jerk, but there's nothing to steal. So from what I'm understanding is as of Sunday, all those luxury stores on 57th and 5th and Madison, they're all uprooting their inventory into their warehouses and leaving the stores again empty because to them, it's easier to do the back and forth than to lose the millions of merchandises that some of these stores carry. Look, Louis Vuitton on a bad day, on a bad day, they have about $20 $20 million in inventory at a store. It's expensive. They, they sell expensive goods. So to them, it's easy to uproot that stuff like a jewelry store and put it in a warehouse and leave the store empty. It's cheaper than to lose anything because the insurance claims, look at what happened to Century 21. They went under because insurance claims didn't suffice the loss that they suffered during the closure of the pandemic. We're talking about a, a very old, well-established business that was not leveraged but the losses were so tremendous that it took them out of business. So as a finance guy, and and I know a lot of the the private equity firms that own these businesses, and I know how they operate, and I know how leveraged and unleveraged they can be, you're going to see a round two of a vacancy in Manhattan for election night because everybody's scared out of their brains of what's going to happen. Antifa's getting ready. They're putting out posts. You get stuff all over the internet all the time. Black Lives Matter. I thought Antifa was just an idea. Well, according to senile Joe Biden. Just an idea. Who who delivered those pallets of bricks? Home Depot? No. No, not Home Depot. They're conservative as they come. They're (laughs) organized. They're coming there in buses. They're dressed all the same. They have military training that they've used. They dropped off pallets of bricks they hit cops with. Oh, they're just an idea? What do you think? Hey, over 40% of the arrests made in New York City during the riots were not New York residents. And matter of fact, they were from the West Coast. We're talking about Oregon, California. Even there was a couple of arrests from wealthy, very wealthy, prominent family members in this country that were arrested during those riots. There weren't New Yorkers arrested. Well, that's what I was telling from here. That's what I was talking about on our last episode was uh, with Bill that, you know, it's one, you know, you're the cop of the month. You're a college educated police officer because that's what they are right now. You're required to have uh, at least 60 credits from an accredited college. Most of them have a four year degree and uh, they still choose to come on the police department. And now you're being attacked. Who are you being attacked from? Not the people from your neighborhood, but from these outside people. Uh, from the people that come from other states that have no, uh, they don't know that you were the cop of the month. They don't know that you delivered a baby just last night. You know, they don't give a shit about you. And that's the, that's the problem. That's the problem. And that's why I think they need to come up with a law that if you get caught, um, a federal law they need to come up with, that if you get caught in another state rioting, um, you're, it's 10 years mandatory. Look, I'll put it this way. If you get caught rioting or looting in general, I don't care if you're from another state or if you're in your home state, you should go to jail. And you should, you should, you should. You know why? New York City and New York State was the only state in July that you could go to jail for shopping at Macy's, but not if you looted it and burned it to the ground. And that's just unacceptable. While the entire country was reopened slowly and surely, the state of Georgia was the first one to reopen, their numbers have never climbed. The state of Florida never really closed. Texas, North and South Carolina, these people don't even have mask mandates. Well, they're, you know they're, they're thriving. You brought up something earlier, and we were talking about the Blasio, and, and, and I mentioned the anarchy about destroying the city. But you mentioned about the uh, kind of sort of the change of money. Now, for example, if you have an apartment in the city and the value of it is somewhere under a, mil- a million for a one-bedroom um, now, all of a sudden, you know, you're at you're dropping uh, twenty thousand dollars at a clip on that price and somebody else is able to come in there that couldn't probably afford it before or can or has the money to buy multiple of them and do what they want with it and change co-ops, change condos, you know, and just fuck everything up. And that's 
That's what I think is uh, that. That's what I think is the idea is. So de Blasio, the de Blasio has to have some kickback from some gnarly real estate plan or group of real estate moguls. And I say this, and it could hurt me professionally, not even politically, but professionally, because I am a real estate investor. I do invest in real estate, but I say this: property value in New York has dropped to historical lows, up to thirty-five percent property value tanked in Manhattan. Well, look at There's this. There's only one person who benefits. One person. It's the massive developers and there operators. That's what I was just going to say. If you look at the people that are buying these properties, it's not individual owners. It's developers. It's well, developers and operators. They're the ones who benefit. You know, look, the fact that there hasn't been a transaction over the amount of $6 million in, in Manhattan in the last four months, that alone should raise alarms. You know why? The average transaction in Manhattan is usually $14 million. We haven't had one over 6 million in four months. You, we, we, Manhattan historically transacts a total of 100 to 300 million a week in real estate sales. It, it, it's insane. It's so absolutely you, insane. Well, another thing that's connected to that is that a lot of the multimillionaires in New York City have fled to their second home. Well, look at the hedge fund guy, the the four point one billion guy, the hedge fund guy. He five billion. He split to Florida. These people may not be coming back. They're not so, coming back. You know. You know what's funny? I. I <laughs> oh man, I hope I don't get in trouble. But a lot of my clients, I'm not. I'm not visiting clients. Um, ever since the, the pandemic started, right? Uh, I started my leave of like uh, slowing down in August, but I was actively seeing clients throughout the pandemic at their homes. And then it started to become, I'm flying to Florida. Oh, I got to go to Florida again. And then I had to go to the Hamptons. And I said, what the hell's going on? You know what? I have not seen a single one of my clients here in the city since probably April. And, you know, not a lot of them are coming back. And I, I can't drop names, but a lot of them are famous people. A lot of them are, have national recognition. They, they're CEOs of very large firms. They haven't been in New York City since April. There's no reason for them to be here. Maybe they came in real quick to pick up more clothes or whatever, or sent staff even. But, you know, it's I'm telling you, New York City is, is easily and slowly but surely being abandoned by the most high tax contributors there are and that's going to hurt us that's really going to hurt us billionaire row is good to new york because they contribute the moment they all leave and billionaire row no longer is we're in trouble because we're talking about billions in tax revenue that we're losing yeah, that was, income tax yeah you know one of our uh, people watching on facebook live wanted me to ask you what could you do about the censor the censorship from tech giants against things that they don't agree with specifically um, you know, so, like they wouldn't let the post print the story about Bo, uh, biden's son hunter biden yeah i was censored they for that too the same thing you know so tech giants need to understand that the freedom of speech applies to them uh and if they don't want to operate in the united states then you know don't let the door hit you in the ass when you leave because it, it, they need to be, they need to be held accountable. Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg in my opinion, is a, is a criminal. He he's a national criminal, and it really dawns upon me that he gets to get away with all the crap he's doing. And you know something else, George? He's got a bad haircut, and he's a billionaire, and he can't. That's the haircut he has. He's a billionaire. If you can't get a good hairstylist and you're a billionaire, you're really in trouble. Like he puts yeah, a bowl, a, a square bowl on his head, you know? You know what? I, I, I say this. When you have so much money, I think you really lose touch with the barber. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you don't even want to communicate with them. So the barber does you a number. And that's what you end up with. Look, Mark, Mark goes in, he sweeps, talk to barber, you know, take care of my hair, make it look nice. And he gets a nice hairline. Now Zuckerberg walks in there, doesn't talk to the bar, but doesn't look at him in the face. And that's what you get, asshole, for doing that. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that you have a lot of people that, um, I remember working in a building and the like this guy who owned uh, the biggest publishing company, I don't want him to say his name, but, you know, he kind of sort of wore the same thing, like almost like a Woody Allen 
wears the same, you know, even um, Steve Jobs did the same thing, wore the same clothes. And so this way you don't have to worry a lot. You know, whatever you're comfortable in, the clothes are just, um, it's it's like your body's just a vehicle to travel, to, to bring your brain from place to place. You know what I'm saying? And the clothes are just something that you cover your, your vehicle with because you just have to. It, you don't put a lot of thought into it. So I, I think that's the way it is with the haircuts too. It's um, and plus he he doesn't have um, you know really good hair either. If he, if he grew it out, it'd probably be a Jew fro. Yeah, he doesn't have hair like you, hair. Mark, or else he definitely would. Uh, Apparently nobody has your hair, Mark. I, I, look, not even I do. So I get it. It's it's, it's, it's a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. Uh, there you go. I'm yeah, broke, right. man. I mean, Tell that to my. Just so you know. A lot of a mix. Joe. George, just so you know, you uh, you fall right into the line of with every single guest that we've had on the show, uh, because they've all been more successful than me. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> no, no, it is true, man. Fuck tree. Uh, forget about TV credits. In, in the end, they amount to nothing. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's gonna well, be here's, a it's here's what I say. I think everybody's successful in their own right and in their own world. And you're you're somebody's hero. I'm sure if you have kids, you're your little girls or your little boys. You know inspiration and so on and so forth so instead of comparing ourselves to each other let's compare ourselves to our all our challenges and how we overcame them and i think that that's success in its own that's how i look at it if i sit here and i look at the guys who are making you know i work for billionaires i'm not a billionaire and if i look at their checking account and get depressed i'm never going to be able to get anywhere further but at the end of the day I, I joke about it. I joke about it. I put two kids, uh, two kids through college. There you go. You know what That's, I'm saying? Look, so, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. That's expensive. <laughs> so, and so did Bill. So did Bill. There you like, go. My kids have literally like, uh, you know, they literally, Bill's, Bill's in the same boat. They don't have, uh, they don't have any student loans. You know, yeah. now, uh, you know, now you want to go to nursing school, you, you're going to pay for it. I'll help you. And, uh, you know, whatever they want to do afterwards, as far as a master's degree program. Uh, but, I'll help them with it, but that's you got to take a student loan out for that. But I put myself through college and got an MBA from NYU, and I have zero debt. And my parents, uh, they helped where they could because they were rebuilding back uh, after filing for bankruptcy. But I, I know the drill. It's it's hard work. You got to do it. And uh, like I said, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again: nothing comes for free. Nothing in life is free. And the harder you work for something, the more you want it, and the more you want it the more rewarding it is. So yeah, I hate take care of it too. I hate looking at youth today and seeing them sitting on their behinds and acting like, you know, oh, this is so hard. You oh. know what, I don't. You know why I don't? Because I realize this kid is not gonna take my place. <laughs> I got I got 20 more good years in me because this loser right here, he's not, he's not gonna figure it out for another 20 years. So I can still stay working as a comic I can still stay working as an I, I can do whatever I want because this this guy right here, he's not motivated for nothing. He's not doing you got nothing. nothing on you, Mark. You got yeah. nothing on you. <laughs> because if these guys, no, seriously, if these young kids are fighting, if they're really aggressive about work and they're working hard no matter what menial job they have, because they want to show this work ethic, you never know where the next job is going to come from. If that's the attitude. You're 53. You're nervous. You're like, you know what? These kids are going to take over, man. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to find a job. Well, but I look at these kids that they come in on a Saturday morning, and uh, they they can't function. And I'm like, well, dude, you work every Saturday. This is not a surprise. Look, look at this, Mark. And I'll, I'll keep this really quick. I try to be as much of a mentor and motivator for youth. Every every so often, I'll either drop by my alma mater or or whatever. And I'll try to bring guys or gals under my wing and help them and, and teach them. I've hired them as apprentices. I've hired them as understudies and all of that stuff. And I, I find value in that. But you know what? Recently, I've gotten so much pie in my face with doing that because these kids come in, they think they know it all. They think they're better. You teach them a little bit. You invest this much time and a whole lot of money taking them to events and teaching them stuff. And then they turn around and start backstabbing you because now they're important. So you know what? I quit. I'm not going to go fight to get these people up and elevate them so they can come directly compete with me. Can you give so, us a, can you give us a, for instance, like just give us one example where this thing backfired. I'm curious. Oh, well, politically, even I, I had this understudy that I met last year. It was, you know, working with the kid, the kid, you know, very well-spoken, bright kid, 
wanted to advance in politics, wanted to advance in, in general in life. And he, he, didn't, he wasn't complacent and didn't want to stay in the lane that he calls life dealt his cards. I went to bat for the kid. Let's go to DC. Let's introduce you to so. Let's go around. Let's go into the to the money circle in Manhattan. Let me introduce you to people. You all you got to do is be yourself. People aren't judging you based on the color of your skin or who you are, where you come from. They just want to talk to you. I do all that. The kid turns around after he's tapped into my entire network. He turns around, backstabs me, badmouths me, and and now he thinks he's a celebrity. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's, it's, it's a funny thing about people who do good things for other people. And, you know, and that uh, no good deed goes unpunished. I hate saying that, man, but that's a pessimistic attitude. But it really does. I mean, you want to do pragmatic attitude, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, you want to do the right thing, but you got to do it like in baby steps, you know, and they got to kind of sort of earn it. And I'm sure you took a liking to this kid, but I'm sure that at the same time, if you would have took my son and my son was interested in your field, it wouldn't have turned out like that. So don't. You know what? I've done this throughout my throughout my adult life. I've taken probably a dozen kid, kids, girls, boys. You know, you want to work in finance, you want to work in this, and you want to learn. I've taken them under my wing. One right now is a vice president at Goldman Sachs at 25 years old. That's my understudy. That's my work. You know, I'm proud of that. Yeah, yeah. It, it really, it's rewarding to look at it and say, holy shit, I did that. <laughs> you know, and so I know I it's, it. I know it's things that you had one that got away and, you know, it bothers you, but you know it's what? This, that's not no, it's more than one, but you know, this is the most. You try, thing. listen, you try, you hey. know, you got, and there's like little things that go along the way, little clues that you could see, like, uh, you know, and it's funny. You know what's the funny part? You walk into a room of your network of the people you introduce this individual to, and that person is there. He won't even look at you in the face. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's absolutely ludicrous. So, so look, I, huh? you another question. What will happen if, say, Tuesday, you don't win? What do you, where do you go from there? What are you going to do? You're going to go back to your finances? Oh, I'm, I'm going to go sue my opponent. <laughs> I'm gonna sue my. I'm gonna sue him to death uh, because I'm not. I'm not gonna just lay back and roll over. Um, but you know, I'm very optimistic that I will come out victorious. But if I don't, you know what? What what really is warming to me, Bill? I get to go back to my executive role at Harbor City Capital. I'm the regional director here in New York City. Uh, go back to making money and advo advocacy, and I'll keep it going. And you know what? 2022 is not too far away, and so I'll try again. You're going to stay in politics. You're going to give it another. I will run yeah. again for the same seat consecutively, up to three times because I think three is a charm. <laughs> well, here's what I think, man. I mean, just like I told you earlier on, I got a good vibe for people, and I think that uh, you definitely know your stuff as far as finance, and I think that's very, very important to have somebody who knows what to do with the money here in New York city, because we've seen right now for, for the past seven and a half years or seven years that, uh, that it's, it, you know, unless you wanted to destroy it, you couldn't do anything worse. I don't think the guy's dumb. I think he wanted to destroy it, well, but at the same time, we need somebody to rebuild it. Well, New York city, here's the deal. You got to work really hard to do what de Blasio and Cuomo did to New York. This is, this is not an easy city to break. This is not an easy state to destroy. They worked overtime to destroy the city and state. And with the help of the federal, with the lack of federal representation that we have on the Republican side, it was easily done also at the federal level with the help of Chuck Schumer and the entire New York state delegation, which is majorly Democrat. But you know what? My opponent says this all the time. I trust the professionals, the economists. Guess what? I'm an economist. I'm one of the people you trust. So step aside and let the pro take the seat and go be a lawyer and do all the stuff you do in Glen Cove and leave the American people alone and stop sucking the taxpayer dime into your pocket. You've done it for 26 years. It's time to let go of the piggy bank. Let someone who actually knows what they're doing do the job. I agree. Have you discovered any voter fraud or misconduct? in this election? Oh, yes. In my district so far, there's been one arrest made by Suffolk County uh, Board of Elections Commissioner Nick Lalota in uh, Comac. 
there was one individual who fraudulently requested a absentee, uh, a mail-in ballot, excuse me, for his deceased mother who has been dead for two years. Oh, now. yeah. I saw that in the paper. Yeah. So in my district, there's already... Actually, my district right now, from what we're understanding here in New York State, happens to be the one that voter fraud is rampant through the roof right now. Um, we have some discoveries that we're working on. Our lawyers, our team, we're analyzing it. There seems to be a lot of, un, you know, you get the absentee early data voting, you look at it, then you go and you start, you know, doing targeting, texting, messaging. And when you're targeting people based off of the Board of Elections database, and their phone number and address is there, and you get replies like, why are you texting me? You're in Long Island. I'm in Hudson Valley. I've never lived in Long Island. And you're like, wait a second, but you have a ballot waiting for you in Glen Cove. <laughs> so there's an issue there. So we've been looking into it. There's fraud. My opponent's no, no, no stranger to fraud. I, I don't like him. I don't say anything nice about him because there's nothing nice to say. A guy who made Nassau County the most expensively taxed county in America, bankrupted Glen Cove, and managed and managed to do all that, run for governor unsuccessfully, run to take his seat back as county executive unsuccessfully. Somehow he made it to the United States Congress. Because when you fail locally, apparently the last resort is federal government. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Well, we wish you the best of luck, man. I appreciate yeah, it. I, I like you a lot. You were a good dude, man. I can tell. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Joe, look, I will say this. A shout out to Joe Murray, who would not let me hear the end of it if I did not make it to your show before election day. <laughs> and, and Joe's a great friend. He lives in my district, so Joe's probably already voted or will vote for me. Uh, and he's a great friend. And uh, he, he kept saying, you got to come on the show. You're going to love it. <laughs> so, uh, I hope you had a good time. I did. This is great. You know, thank you a lot, man. I'm going to vote for you. These conversations are absolutely phenomenal because I get to let the people see a different side of me. That's not the, you know, hey, how's it going? I'm George Santos. <laughs> so. No, but I think it's, these type of conversations also let out the fact that, you know, you know, you know what you're talking about. There's no, that's the, what I was talking about, like seeing through it. Like you talk in a way, you have a complete grasp of everything that you're saying. And that's what people should look for in, um, in, a, in somebody who's going to represent them, not somebody who's wishy-washy, who's going to jump across um, whatever the popular opinion is and, and just to get the vote. So, uh, yeah, man. Hey, in, in, a world, in a world where the majority of the country says defund the police, I say back the blue. Where they say F the police, I say blue lives matter. Where they say, and, and, and most importantly, when they say, oh, AOC and the Green New Deal, I said, screw the environment and the Green New Deal. Because if there's no people, if we're not saving our people from this atrocious situation that we're in, what good is the environment going to do for us? My opponent loves to talk about his limousine liberal cocktail party speaking points of how he's voted the number one environmentalist in the New York delegation. While very honorable and mother nature thanks you, but right now is not a time for us to be talking about oysters and clams, which seems to be the, at the top of his list of priorities for Long Island. I know that that's an economical ecosystem and that it generates a lot of money in the island. But guess what? There's a lot of people on the island out of work and clams and oysters will not make a difference to their lifestyle. And we need to get money and on the table so food can be on the table and a roof can be over their houses, because, over their heads. Because the one thing I can guarantee you, you cannot retroactively eat, you cannot retroactively be unevicted, and you cannot retroactively buy medicine. And that's what the American people need. Priorities that matter, not clams and oysters. And I say my piece with that. George, that was great, man. I was almost hearing the Star Spangled Banner playing in the background. <laughs> you got it down. Listen, you got it down pat, man. You got it down. I would say no matter what happens with this election, move forward. Keep going. You get elected. Go for a higher office. If you, if it doesn't work out this time, don't give up because oh, no. you're I'm, exactly I'm, I'm going nowhere. Look, I'm telling you're exactly you, I'm going what we need. nowhere. And uh, thank you for being a guest on our show tonight. I hope you don't mind sticking through this one last thing. I want to promote our Patreon. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please check out our Patreon. It's Police Off the Cuff uh, at Patreon.com. We have a couple of different tiers, and Bill will tell you about them. Our three tiers are, number one is called The Bucket, and that costs $7 a month. That's the lowest level. That's why you belong in the bucket. Number two <laughs> costs $9 a month, and that's called Polish My Rack, as in my medals. That's 9 bucks. And the premier tier is called 
dipped in butter. And you know what you want to dip in butter. And that costs 11 bucks a month. So join our Patreon. I'd just like to say one of the shows I did on Patreon, which our fans have had for two weeks, is my very interesting interview with retired chief of staff of the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, Barbara Butcher. And we talk in three different episodes about the Gilgo Beach murders. And it is fascinating. And I'm going to release it tomorrow, uh, part one, on Facebook. Hey, also, too, um, we have a couple of exciting guests. I don't know. We can't mention their names yet, but they're, they're in the works. Really big names, uh, two of them coming up. And um, hopefully, uh, if it, it all works out, then uh, we're, 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 all, we're moving up. And we have a we have a future we have a future congressman on the show tonight. We got two big guests coming up. Uh, on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, thank you for spending some time with us, George. We wish you the best of luck. I'm voting for you. You won me over. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. And guys, everybody watching this, support their Patreon so they they can bring me back next year when I'm a congressman. So please send them, even if it's the bucket. Hey, you know what? At least you're somewhere. Just give them some money. I'll go on to your Patreon and I'll subscribe myself and I'll make sure to put the word out for you guys. You guys do a great job. Great show. Thank you for having me on. Thanks. I'm taping the comedy album uh, November 16th and uh, I'm going to send you an invite to it. Okay. Thank you. It's in the I'll city. To it. We're, we'll need a good laugh after election day. Trust me. <laughs> good night, everyone. Thank you very much, George. Thank you.